Greetings, salutations, and welcome to the China Guy. Thank you for listening. I am very glad you were here. In this episode, we are boarding the Great Treasure Fleet with the famous Zheng He and heading off in search of knowledge. Okay, maybe a little cheesy, but I am very excited about this topic. We've all heard about the famous European explorers with fabulous names like Ferdinand Magellan and Vasco da Gama. Many of these men sailed in the 15th and 16th centuries, which became, to historians, an age of discovery, at least for white Europeans. Yet on the other side of the world, the seas were not still. In the mid 1300s, 150 years before dear Columbus would sail the ocean blue, the Mongolian Yuan Dynasty that had ruled China since Kublai Khan was crumbling. In its place rose a new ethnic Han Chinese Empire, the Ming Dynasty. The first emperor of the Ming, known to history as Emperor Hongwu, had an interesting rise to power. Born into poverty, the future ruler of China was orphaned upon the early death of both his parents, and was taken in by a local Buddhist monastery. Apparently bored with the serene life of a monk, Hongwu joined a group of rebels seeking to fight against the Yuan Dynasty. After years of civil war, Hongwu overthrew the Yuan and instituted the new Ming Dynasty. On the death of Hongwu in 1398. His grandson ascended the throne as the second emperor, yet his reign was short-lived as his uncle Yongle usurped the throne, becoming the third emperor of the Ming in 1402. Yongle was one of the most interesting rulers of the early Ming, and six of the seven great voyages of Zheng He were commissioned and carried out on his order. This early Ming history is critical to understanding the importance of the man known as Zheng He and his voyages. The popular belief about Zheng He claims that his voyages were primarily exploratory in nature, that his trips to India, the Persian Gulf, and Africa represented China's first contact and knowledge of these areas. Modern scholarship suggests otherwise. However, China had a sophisticated knowledge of these different regions. And the voyages themselves served as a projection of power into the quote Western waters, as the Indian Ocean region was known in China at that time. This concept, formerly known as the tribute system, had existed in China for hundreds of years. Under the tribute system, foreign powers near China, such as Japan, Korea, Vietnam, and Siam. Would send money and gifts to China, recognizing the Chinese emperor as lord of all under heaven. In exchange, China would agree to protect these countries militarily, as well as ensuring free and open trade between China and the host country, seeking to demonstrate the power of the new Ming Dynasty and assert its legitimacy as the new dynasty of imperial China. Yongle and his successor Xuan De sent Zheng He on a series of diplomatic voyages. Expanding this tribute system to not only include China's surrounding neighbors, but also those further afield. Trade was another important aspect of these voyages, and provided the main impetus for their funding and construction. Much like Europe on the other side of the world, China had acquired a taste for spices, medicinal herbs, raw materials, and luxury goods from India, Persia, and the Arabian Peninsula. Into the ports of eastern China flowed ginseng, lacquerware, celadon, 
gold and silver, and horses and oxen from Korea and Japan. The ports of southern China were filled with even more luxury. Hardwoods, ivory, rhino horns, brilliant kingfisher plumes, ginger, sulfur, and tin were brought up from Annam and Siam, now modern Vietnam and Thailand. From the tropical islands of Sumatra and Java flowed cloves and nutmeg, fabrics and pearls, and valuable tree resin. Calicut on the eastern Indian coast provide cardamom, cinnamon, turmeric, and other spices like black pepper. Gemstones from Sri Lanka, carpets from the Persian Gulf, and exotic animals and plants from Africa were all hauled off boats in southern China. All of these goods were incredibly valuable. Spices and fabrics were the Apple iPhones of their day, incredibly expensive, and everybody wanted some. At the same time that European explorers were searching for a quick route east, China was already enjoying the fruits of this trade. Zheng He was tasked, partly, to engage these different nations and further cement good trade relations with them. Born in Yunnan province on the border with Vietnam in 1371, Zheng He was well prepared for a life spent encountering other cultures. His father was a Muslim and was known as a Haji, a Muslim who had made the holy pilgrimage, or Hajj, to Mecca. Inheriting his father's faith, Zheng He was born Ma He, and Ma, his initial surname, was a common family name for Chinese Muslims. Like many other famous Chinese historical figures, Zheng He's early life is mysterious, but it appears that he eventually became a servant to the Yongle Emperor. Zheng He was also notable for being a eunuch. The circumstances of his transition into this role are debated. Some historians believe he was captured by Yongle and forced into becoming a eunuch. Others think he volunteered for this role, offering his services to the emperor. Regardless of the specific circumstances, Zheng He had become a trusted advisor to Emperor Yongle and was very familiar with foreign cultures, particularly the Muslim cultures of the western waters. Zheng He was picked to lead this great expedition to exotic lands, and the Yongle emperor spared no expense in assembling the finest fleet the world's waters had ever known. Chinese shipbuilding at this time was unparalleled. The largest ships of this fleet were 400 feet long, 120 feet wide, contained 9 masts and 12 sails. These gargantuan vessels were known as treasure ships, as they contained the gifts brought to foreign shores, while also transporting various rulers and dignitaries from China and back to their own lands. This fleet also boasted some specific cutting-edge technology for its time, most of which had already existed in China for hundreds of years. The magnetic compass, which allowed for nighttime navigation using the position of the stars, was developed in China in the 9th century, 200 years before it arrived in Europe. This compass also led to the development of sophisticated star charts in the 11th century. The creation of double hulls gave Chinese vessels added safety, as they could mitigate leaks and prevent their ships from sinking yet they also provided convenient water storage 1,000 years before this technology would be seen in Europe. The sternpost rudder, while seemingly an obvious addition to a seagoing vessel, was a tremendous leap in shipbuilding methods. Located outside the hull of the ship on its rear side, the rudder could be raised and lowered to be effective in both shallow and deep waters, giving Chinese ships incredible flexibility. Again, while these rudders were developed in China in the first century, 
Europeans wouldn't use them for another 1,000 years. Europeans are often credited with developing advanced sailing vessels during this age of exploration. Yet this understanding of history simply ignores the far advanced Chinese naval technology. At the same time Columbus was crossing the Atlantic Ocean with his three tiny ships, a massive fleet of 317 ships, including 60 of these gargantuan treasure ships, was traversing the Indian Ocean. Zheng He went on seven separate voyages with this giant fleet, and each time he would travel a little further from the Chinese coast. His first voyage in 1405 included 27,870 sailors, traders, and diplomats. His destination for this first voyage was simple, just a quick trip down to Sumatra in modern Indonesia, and after fighting off some pirates in the Straits of Malacca, Zheng He sailed to Sri Lanka on the coast of southern India. The second voyage was less eventful, and the fleet returned some of the dignitaries from Sumatra and Sri Lanka to their home countries. Yet his third voyage is notable for being the setting of the first and only land battle that the fleet would ever encounter. After arriving back on Sri Lanka, Zheng He made an offering to the famous Buddhist temple on the island and greeted the ruler of Sri Lanka, King Alagakanora, who he had met on his first trip. There exists two different versions of the remainder of this story, one Chinese and one Sri Lankan. As you can imagine, these two stories do not necessarily agree. The Chinese account claims that King Alagakanara plotted against the fleet, and acting in self-defense, Zheng He was forced to capture the king and take him back to China, where he received the imperial favor and was returned home. The Sri Lankan version diverges from the Chinese story, According to the Sri Lankans, the Chinese landed under false pretenses of gift-giving and duped and captured the foolishly trusting king. The truth about what happened on this third voyage is likely lost to time. After such a violent third journey, the fourth was more focused on trade and travel. Zheng He finally crossed the Indian subcontinent and sailed into the Arabian Sea, while a total of 18 different nations sent tribute and envoys back to the Yongle Emperor. Voyage 5 went even further afield, with the fleet arriving for the first time at the Horn of Africa, near modern Somalia. The Sultan of Aden on the Arabian Peninsula also famously gave Zheng He gifts of zebras, lions, and ostriches. Imagine sailing with a boat full of lions for a few years. Voyage 6 was another return trip to drop off and bring back more foreign ambassadors. Yet the last voyage in 1431, proved to be the most ambitious yet. Zheng He and his treasure ships sailed all the way from eastern China's Nanjing through Southeast Asia, around India and the Arabian Peninsula, and all the way down the Swahili coast of Africa. Tragically, their trip was not only the last of these magnificent voyages, it also marked the end of Zheng He's life. The famous sailor and diplomat died on the return trip near Sri Lanka, never seeing his beloved China again, after a lifetime of service to his emperor. After the passing of Zheng He, Chinese voyages to the Indian Ocean ceased. To many in the imperial government, these voyages represented the worst excesses of the Yongle Emperor. On top of this, a decades-long war with Annam, the historical name for Vietnam, had drained the Chinese treasury, while at the same time, Yongle moved the capital from Nanjing to Beijing, where he began construction on the Forbidden City. 
requiring an estimated 1 million laborers for that single project alone. All these factors divided the imperial government, which separated into two factions. One group, led by the court eunuchs, were pro-expansionists, were pro-expansionist and advocated more voyages to the western waters. The opposing faction was led by conservative Confucian advisors and desired an end to the expansionist policies of Yongle. In 1477, another voyage was proposed by some of the court eunuchs. Yet their moment had passed. The Ministry of War put a stop to these plans, calling the voyages of Zhenghe a, quote, deceitful exaggeration of bizarre things far removed from the testimony of people's eyes and ears. The ministry decreed that ships could not have more than two sails, essentially derailing any proposed voyages to the Indian Ocean. Finally, in 1525, the imperial government ordered the destruction of all ocean-going vessels in the empire, breaking apart the largest fleet the world had ever seen, the size of which would not be equaled until the First World War. While the adventures of Zheng He were not always appreciated by his contemporaries, his actions mark a momentous achievement in Chinese history. The splendor of the fleet was unmatched in the rest of the world and represented China's assertion of power in the Pacific and Indian Ocean regions. The voyages were not about exploration, like those of his European contemporaries. Instead, the Chinese already possessed a sophisticated knowledge of the area around them and sought to go one step further, showcase the power of the Chinese state so that every knee within their reach would know of the emperor's majesty, and the emissary of his will was the irreplaceable Zheng He. Next time on The China Guy. After having visited Hong Kong last week with my wife, I am very excited to bring you a showcase episode all about this fascinating city. We will discuss tea tastings, food, geography, and wild boars. Tune in next time for our next exciting installment of The China Guy. Thank you, and Zai Jian.